0: is White Sox Weekly.
1: I drive, got a chance. for Turn on the
0: and drives one to the right center field. Heading back now is Cave, turning and watching, and it's gone in the right center. The Chicago
1: baseball conversation. This
0: ball's getting small. On the flagship home of the Sox, 720 WGN.
1: High fly ball to the left. This could be trouble. Eloy comes
0: in, slides, and makes the catch. What a play. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Great
2: changeup right there from Giolito, his seventh
0: strikeout. That's impressive. Huge, huge turnaround.
3: You know, we're hoping and expecting that maybe this is the guy that everybody was, you know, expecting. Let's begin now.
0: Wow, getting a new open as we roll into September. Thank you, Chris Duffy. You can hear Andy Mazur getting a little love on the open. You too, Lucas Giolito, who is on the mound today. White Sox trying to end a five-game slide. Rough one yesterday for Ronaldo Lopez, who has been great in the second half, uh, but that is starting to trend the other way right now, uh, as uh, Lope did not get out of the first inning last night, which is not good, but uh, the is there. I don't think he's hurt, uh, but... Um, you know, not, Certainly not the outing that he wanted to have, and three of his last four really have not been great. He allowed five against the Angels uh, back on the 15th, and seven against the Twins on the 20th. So uh, we'll see if Ronaldo can find it again as we move into September. One guy who has found it, of course, is Lucas Giolito. He could... I don't even know if he needs to pitch anymore the rest of the year to be the comeback player of the year. I mean, Lucas Giolito... Last year worst ERA in baseball coming into today 14-7 with a 3.20. Uh, you know, what can you say about Lucas Giolito this year? He ranks among the American League leaders in basically everything. Complete games, he's tied for first with three. Shutouts, he's tied for first, he's got two. Batting average of uh the opponents, he's third. They're hitting two oh eight against him. OPS on base plus slugging, fourth, six forty-two. League average is closer to eight hundred. I mean well down from there. ERA is he's fifth with three point two for you old school people like myself. Wins for you older school people like myself. He's tied for fifth with fourteen. Um, and strikeouts per nine. He's fifth and all in baseball at eleven 11.5 uh, the American League I should say at eleven point five nine, eleven and a half per game, and strikeouts at two oh three. So he's closing in on Javi Vasquez. Uh for the most for White Sox, all the way back to 2007, and we'll see how Lucas uh, can do today. And it is just worth reminding, last year he finished with that ERA of 6.13. So right now, let's do the math on that. His improvement is 2.93. That would be the second best in the history of baseball behind a gentleman by the name of Dick Ellsworth, who you may remember who pitched for the Cubs uh, in the 60s. 1962 and 1963. From 62 to 63, he improved by 2.98 runs. So Lucas is at 2.93. I think we can all do the math on that. That's .05. So he pitches just a little, a little, a little bit better than uh, perhaps he could have the greatest change in ERA in one year. Now that's you know not a stat necessarily you want because you don't want to have the bad year, but... Once you do have the bad year, you do want to move forward, correct? And that is exactly what Lucas Giolito is doing. we got a busy White Sox Weekly for you today. Uh, coming up this hour, one of my favorite people, Tom Pachoric, all class, always interesting to talk to. And uh, Tom, of course, sitting in on the broadcast this week, Jason, or last couple of nights, I should say, Jason Benetti off doing uh, college football. Benetti is back today. Uh, but Tom was doing a great job alongside Steve Stone. Stoney stepping into the play-by-play on the TV side. I thought he did a great job, and those two had instant chemistry. And the Whipperoo is just always awesome to talk to. So we'll talk about the team. We'll talk about his journey. You may not know about Tom Pachorik. He is—he's one of five, and his three brothers all ended up playing in the big leagues. Now, one of them only made it for one game, and then had to have back surgery. He got three hits in his only game. It's almost like you know Field of Dreams, Moonlight Graham movie, right? Movie like, right? I mean, you, you played one game in the Big Leagues. You got three hits. You proved that you could be there. And then, let me ask this question. Whoa. that's coming up. Don't worry. That's that's me from another thing. Let me pu- let me pull that pot down for you, there, Sammy. No problem. Um, so it it that just. That's not a story you hear every single day. And so that's, that's that's some talented parents. And Tom also was, he played football in college as well as baseball at Houston. He was drafted in the ninth round into the NFL. I mean, what an athlete, right? And the whimper is just always in a great mood, so we're looking forward to talking to him. And then, coming up after 2 o'clock today, Michael Huff will be with us, the White Sox director of youth baseball and fast pitch Um Michael is moving into the fall season, but a lot of information on your travel teams and everything you can be doing to help your kid uh, perhaps continue his baseball into the winter. So we'll be doing that coming up after 2 o'clock, and of course we'll talk about the team as well. And then Scott Merkin, our buddy from MLB.com, will be with us at 2.35. Sox fans celebrate Hispanic Heritage Night on Friday, September the 6th. It's presented by Cerveza Modelo. There'll be Latin music and dancing, special activities, an on-field parade, and post-game fireworks show as well. Modelo Especial. Come for the diamond, stay for the gold. Tickets start as low as $10 you can purchase that by visiting Whitesox.com slash I want to give some love to Tim and Bria Anderson as we start the show. Tim Anderson has been great on the field. We'll shake at shortstop as of late, but uh, the fielding will come back up, I'm confident. But Tim and his wife, Bria, have been doing incredible stuff off the field. And they both took some students from the Chicago-based Youth Guidance Becoming a Man and Working on Womanhood programs. Now, so you got young kids who Tim and Bria are trying to expose to the world, and they take this group down to Atlanta, where the White Sox are playing this weekend, and they go on a tour of the National Center for Civil and Human Rights. Now, how awesome is that? This is not... In the off season, the White Sox are playing games right now, and they're taking their time. And you know, in addition to the stress of playing baseball and producing at the highest level, hey, you know, we want to take these kids down here, and we want to expose them to something that they would not be exposed to. And so they they learning about the history of Atlanta. They go to the game. Um, you know, and, and they're being mentored by by incredibly successful people. And Tim's quote was, quote, some of these kids have never really been out of Chicago. It was, quote, dope to bring them to Atlanta and let them go check out the museum and learn about our history. I think that kind of stuff is important. Yes, that kind of stuff is extremely important. And it's extremely cool that Tim has taken the time to do that, along with his wife, who I've met um at some of the Sox outings, whose uh, Bria is just awesome. So, and if you're if you're on the old Twitter, you can go to at Sox Charities, and there's just pictures of the group um, down on the field at the game, and then at the museum, and just a wide range. Boys, girls, uh, they all seem to be. I, I, I'm assuming these are all basically high school kids, um, but just super cool that uh, that they that they care, and not only. It's not just words it's actions here i mean there they are bringing kids down to atlanta i don't uh, white Sox charities is awesome doing this as well that's not cheap right you're bringing you're flying everybody down they're staying in a hotel they're eating they're going to the museum it's it's a it's a really really cool thing that's going on hey socks fans you can sample beers from over 40 local breweries while enjoying food games and entertainment in the park at the inaugural shy socks craft beer fest that's saturday september 14th all attendees take home a custom shy socks tasting glass you do have to be 21 and over tickets on sale now at whitesox.com slash beer fest take a quick time out come on back and the whimper roof. tom pachorik will be with us i think you'll enjoy the conversation that is next on white Sox weekly 720 wgn 720 wgn white Sox weekly and I think you've heard him this weekend. If you've been watching the TV, you certainly have. Topachork, the mm. Wimperoo back in the booth. Jason Benetti doing some college football. So alongside Steve Stone, uh, that is a, that's a, you know you're both color guys here, uh, Wimperoo. This is it's a, it's a, so <laughs> <We> faked it. <laughs> I, I think it's yesterday, Mark. I, I, I got to tell you, I think Stoney's done a pretty good job at play by play. You guys, you guys sound I like think you,
1: he yeah. I think Stoney did a marvelous job of carrying me. No,
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. You you do not need to be carried, sir. I'm not going to allow that.
1: Well, thanks, Mark. No, it was a lot of fun last night. Unfortunately, the results weren't too good. But, you know, the Sox are a good young team, but they just don't uh, quite have the, the firepower right now that, say, the Atlanta Braves have. You know, they've got some good young players, too, but they're just a little bit uh, uh, outnumbered by the quality that the the Braves are featuring right now. It's really a remarkable team that they're featuring here in Atlanta. You know, 20 games, 28 games over 500, and they've done it with some masterminding trades by Alex Andropoulos, the general manager, and Brian Snitcher has really done a nice job of managing the guys that he's gotten.
0: And they've locked in a lot of their young players, too, which I think is, you know, part of the White Sox plan here coming up. It'll be interesting in the offseason. But you're living in Atlanta, right, Tom?
1: Yes, I do. Just out the, outside of Atlanta, about 70 miles. Yeah, so do you do you so. see any
0: parallels between the, what the Braves are doing and what the White Sox are trying to do?
1: Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, trying to go young. And, uh, well, you mentioned the fact they, uh, they locked up two of their young stars, uh, Acuna and... Uh, Ozzie Alves, the Braves did, which was a real smart move because these guys are going to be superstars. And so is Eloy uh, Jimenez for the, for the Sox being locked up. I think that's a trend that uh, teams are going to go to right now, Mark, because of the fact that when you know a guy's going to be a star, you're, you know, you're positive and there's no backing off on it and you commit to him. Uh, I think it's a good move. I think it's a win-win situation. Because you control the guy for a lot longer and in, his, in his career, but at the same time, the player is getting a huge amount of salary uh, in, in, in circumstances where they wouldn't have gotten otherwise.
0: Do you, do you think that uh, from a player's perspective that they're under control for too long, Tom? Do you think it's borderline unfair to the player? No.
1: (laughs) I I think when I played, I thought that was unfair. But these guys nowadays, I think I treated very, very well. You know, the minimum salary is uh, is over a half a million dollars. So and you get a nice meal money. You get three gourmet meals every day. You fly on charter flights. Your health coverage is is, uh, taken care of. No, I don't think so. What? And, and you just, uh, uh, you know, I, I think the situation is is great for players right now. And if they can get themselves a, a multi-year contract, all the better for them. But at the same time, you have to give the owners a little bit of credit, too.
0: Yes, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's compared, I guess, to other sports, and you did play in the wrong Europe. Went I mean, <laughs> I <did>. get <laughs> I know. At, at least for the. I mean, it was an awesome era. But you would be making a couple more dollars if you played it. What'd you make as a rookie?
1: As a rookie, um, I was with the Dodgers. I think I made seven or eight thousand dollars. Oh, come on. Yeah. Oh no. It was. It was and you know uh, that back then that I signed in 1968, and the most you could make as a rookie uh, was five hundred dollars a month. That was the maximum.
0: Yeah. Okay, but you're talking so, in the. Oh, how about a rookie in the majors? You're talking in the minor leagues, correct? Oh, okay.
1: That was the minor leagues. Oh, sure. Uh,
0: yeah, there was no minimum salary back then. Okay.
1: So anytime the uh, minimum salary went up back then, I got a raise. But no, there were times. I, I think we. Uh, I made more money uh, in the Dominican Republic playing winter ball than I did my first year with the Dodgers in the big leagues. Oh my! God. Of course, you know that uh, ticket prices. I remember the t- the the top price. The best seat at Dodger Stadium was seven dollars back then. It's <laughs> back in nineteen seventy three. So times have really changed from a marketing standpoint, and of course, the cost of uh, putting the game on is uh, is really gotten huge.
0: Yeah, I remember as a kid, you're, you're making me think like my, you know, my fa- my family used to take me to a bunch of Bulls games, and and we had one family friend. They're like, can you believe how expensive these seats are? And they were they were second row behind the visitors' bench. Eighteen dollars a ticket. Isn't that amazing?
1: It's incredible. You know, you look at Yankee Stadium, aren't they charging like 2500
0: Yeah, it's disgusting. For, uh,
1: I mean, it's just ridiculous. So uh, uh, I don't understand the game as well as I used to, but I'm, I'm trying to figure things out, Mark.
0: Yeah, yeah not well, that easy. And just a reminder, by the way, White Sox fans, you can still go to Guaranteed Rate Field on a Sunday for 5 bucks and sit in the upper deck, 10 bucks for parking. That is a steal. So uh,
1: That is a great deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah what did you make what's the most you ever made in a, in a season time not to get too uh, personal here was it was it your last well, one with I, the Rangers? Uh,
1: The only time I ever um, uh, approached halfway to the minimum of today was when I was playing for the white sox okay and I had a four year contract it was uh it was right around a, a million dollars and god I thought I was living in high cotton and uh, <laughs> and I was really grateful for that. But, uh, you know, like I said, times have really changed. And, uh, but, you know, the players' union is very, very strong. I, it's, it's the best. It's the strongest union in sports. I, you know, you say that the player might be uh, held on to too long by the ownership. But I, if you look at the, the, the benefits that Major League Baseball has compared to uh, uh, basketball and, and football, and you'll see that there's a huge difference. I'll give you an example. My good friend, Ron Reed played um, 20 years in the Major League, great pitcher for a number of teams, but he also was an All-American basketball player at Notre Dame, and he played six years in the NBA. And when he got uh, time for retirement, he, he requested his retirement, and they gave him like a $10,000, and that was it oh for God. his time in the NBA. So that, you know, the, so that the union strength, I think, is much more powerful. And you know, you guys like Marvin Miller that set the standard back in the seventies has made it possible for uh, baseball players to really live a nice life now. And you know, the guaranteed contract too yep. is not is it more much more prevalent in baseball than it is say in football or any of the other sports.
0: And one would argue that you need it more in football than anything else because you know, obviously the oh risk, my of, God. right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The risk of concussion and uh, career-ending injury is so much more uh, more great in football than it is in baseball. So, no, you know, I had an opportunity, believe it or not, to play pro football, and thank God I turned it down. I, 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 uh, the, the Miami Dolphins made me an offer I could refuse. See, I, so, um,
0: yeah. I was, gonna br- I was actually going to bring that up today, Tom, because it, it, it's interesting to me in today's world of sports, especially with how kids are being brought up and parents in specialization, I mean, you played baseball and football at Houston. You were a ninth-round pick in the NFL, and, of course, you, you chose uh, to play baseball, and, and as you just said, you know, I guess wisely so, but I, I'm just curious, like, you know, how did you – balance playing both and then like if, if i got some you know michael huff's on the show today he does the you know white Sox camps like how, if you're talking to parents right now how do you what do you say as far as like being your best in one when it's so competitive
1: well it really is tougher to play uh, uh more than one sport now mark but i think uh you know back then when i went to the university of houston coach yeoman bill yeoman uh uh was the football coach there and uh He said that if you can make you could start on the baseball team, uh, you can uh, you don't have to go through spring football, which was called camp fun, which was like being in hell. (laughs) So uh, our whole team football team went out for the baseball team because my put my scholarship for college was in football. And uh, ironically, we went to the College World Series in 1967 and finished second. To Arizona State with a team full of football players that really, <laughs> you know, and I was the I was the uh, unfortunate for, unfortunately for our team we had a lot of good players I was the only one that signed off of that team and you know was able to play a few years in the
0: majors. Tom Pichorek, uh stick around here as we'll get a check in news real fast, and then come back with the wimperoo after one thirty. And a reminder: join us Saturday, September seventh, Sox take on Mike Trout. And the Los Angeles Angels. That's a 6'10 first pitch, first 15,000 fans. Take home a White Sox replica home run chain. You can get your tickets today at WhiteSox.com. News is next, and more of the whimperoo coming up on White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. Hope you're having a great Labor Day weekend. Thank you to Pam Jones for the news. Thank you to Sam Martino for producing today with this Chicago Bulls neck brace slash airplane gadget, even though he's not on a plane. I like it. Perhaps makes you better at your job. You're more comfortable. Whatever you need to be successful in life, I support that. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation with the Roo Top of Chork, which is sponsored by Mazda of Orland Park and ZoomZoomNation.com, where they're always trying to make your car shopping fun. So, Tom, as we bring you in back in here, you uh, it's just interesting. I don't know many people that make it to the Major Leagues 1, let alone have two of their brothers play in the big leagues as well. That that is pretty incredible. My
1: brother Jim and uh, and I, my brother Jim played one year with the Brewers. Right. And my brother John is the record holder for the uh, highest batting average uh, in Major League history. He went three for three in his only Major League game. That was back in 1963 with the Houston Colt 45s. He had three hits, a couple of walks, three runs scored, and three RBIs. And he never played another game because he had spinal uh, surgery after that, a spinal fusion. And uh, it didn't take real well, so he never played again. But it was ironic but uh, because in that game of rookies for Houston was Joe Morgan, Jimmy Wynn, Sonny Jackson, Rusty Staub my and my brother wow. was the star of that one game and all these other guys i just mentioned had careers of like 15 plus years in the major leagues so there was quite a bit of talent uh, on on that team but unfortunately for my brother he was uh he was left out because of the injury
0: wow that's 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 movie uh worthy right there tom Petrullo. Yeah. i mean really <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that that could be in some Field of Dreams thing. By the way, the White Sox playing at Field of Dreams next year. Uh, how about it? What did your parents do that got all you, you three of you, so athletically successful?
1: Well, we had uh, there was five boys and three girls in our family, and my dad was great. You know, he knew how tough it was uh, when he was growing up, and he never insisted that we get jobs because he just worked in the factory on the uh, basically at. Uh, uh, in the car industry, he worked on the assembly line for forty years, and uh, he never demanded that you know he let us. Uh, he allowed us to play whatever sport was in season, which was great, whether it be basketball, baseball, or football. And so, uh, you know, we, we were it was either that get a scholarship to go to college, or we were going to be on the assembly line too. <laughs> so that was pretty good incentive to stay out of there because I worked on the, I worked there uh, for one summer, and I I thought it was horrible. And so I said I was going to do anything whatever it took to try and and get out of that life and professional sports was was the best
0: avenue at that time. I mean that's good parenting right there. You want to work, try yeah. this. It's not it ain't that much fun, right? <laughs> oh, and
1: I've learned to hate work, Mark, as long as, as, long as I've always said I just uh you know in baseball some been yeah 1968 I signed. It's been 50 years and uh I, I consider just having fun for fifty years. It's been amazing, you know. I, I really never had a real job during that uh, during the time because baseball is just uh, to me has always been a fun thing. And if you're not having fun playing baseball, there's something wrong with you. You don't. You need to get in another profession.
0: No doubt. No doubt. You 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 made it to the most exclusive country club on the planet, playing professional sports and and uh, and. You were you were around some awesome people, Tom can, can you tell me a a, a Carlton Fish story or a, or a, a rookie Ozzie Gian story? Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> well, I wasn't
1: with Ozzie very long, um, you yeah. know, uh, with with the White Sox, but Pudge. Um, geez, uh, <laughs> he's not the most dynamic guy in the world. He was one of those guys that just plotted his way through the day and he did it so efficiently. I never saw a guy with more concentration, you know, he'd go and lift weights. We we're all drinking beer in the club after the game and he's over there lifting weights. <laughs> You know, things like, things like that were always so impressive about Pudge because he was always ready to play. And, you know, that certainly earned him one of the reasons why he got to the Hall of Fame. But, uh, we used to probably, kid, uh, Kittle was the butt of most of the guy's jokes. So, you know, because Kitty's a little cocky yeah. and, um uh, we used to get on him more than anybody else. And we like to play that Karnak game with him. You know, somebody would yell out, uh, Catch twenty two, everybody yeah, catch twenty two, and they open up the imaginary envelope and say, "What would Ron Kittle do if you hit him with hundred five balls?" So you know things like that. There was always uh, a lot of uh, 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 pranksters on the team, and uh, my my recollection of the White Sox and that was really what what made it fun.
0: Kitty's on the show a bunch. I, I love I love talking to him. He's he's uh, you know he still has the same enthusiasm that he, that he had back then. He. Uh, <laughs> He he was super. Uh, I don't want to say emotional, but just really, really proud of Harold Baines getting into the Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm assuming uh, you you share those sentiments, Tom Pichorek.
1: Oh yeah, Harold Baines is just a oh my gosh, you know uh, uh, he reminds me a lot of Dale Murphy. You're just the nicest, uh, kind, gentle human being you'd ever you'd ever want to meet, and Harold just uh you know, a great father, great family man. Now he's a grandfather, and uh, just uh, uh, great. And, uh, you know, I came in for that day that they had at Comiskey just so I could congratulate him because he was a great teammate. You know, he didn't say a whole lot. <laughs> and uh, amazingly, I'll tell you what, I was so proud of him. He actually brought tears to my eyes in his in his Cooperstown, Cooperstown speech. Uh, Especially about when he brought in his dad at the end. I mean, it was it was really incredible and something that uh, um, I was really proud of, Harold. I said, "Man, I didn't know you could do that, Harold." And you know, he kept it all inside for all those years, and it it was fun. It was fun uh, playing with him, fun doing his games, and fun at times even competing against him.
0: Did you know uh, how much his dad meant to him when you were playing with him, or I'm assuming he kept that to himself? Yeah, no, I
1: did not. Yeah. I, I really did not, and that uh, just uh, uh, it, it, I think it was just a perfect, perfect uh, ending to a great speech, and um, uh, it, it, it was it was really wonderful, and it, it, certainly for folks that they can look at, look it up if they haven't heard it, it is well worth uh, well worth hearing.
0: No, no doubt, no doubt. The the Tom Petruk with us here on White Sox Weekly, uh, doing games this weekend with Steve Stone. Uh, does it feel weird walking in the booth and not seeing Hawk there? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs>
1: I had a ball with Hawk, you know, and I, I was so happy I, I got to uh, introduce him last year at uh, at the ballpark in his last game. And uh, you know, he, he's—I uh, I just can't believe that uh, he's not in the Hall of Fame. That's my—that's my one big. Uh, uh, gripe i guess that i have right now that hawk has not uh been um been inducted uh into the uh, into cooperstown you know i I, have a lot of guys that haven't accomplished anything close to what he's done and what he's done in in the broadcast field especially um that uh warrants his uh you know being nominated there's a lot of great announcers in the uh in the hall of fame but certainly none better than hawk you think it's a personal thing that's a great question. I don't know. I really don't know. I know there's a lot of people that, uh, that love Hawk, but on the other hand, I don't know the other people because I probably wouldn't have been associated with them. So, um, uh, I, I, I really don't know, but I think there's a lot of discrepancies in, in, you know, in hall of fame, uh, voting anyway, because there's so many guys that it took a long time to get in and other guys that aren't even considered, uh, uh, possible uh, contenders to get into the Hall of Fame, even as players. So it's uh, – I don't know. It's its a little muddy right now.
0: Does he ever talk
1: about it? Does it bother him? No. He's never once mentioned it to me.
0: Interesting. Never once said. Uh-uh. Because, I mean, we so, – uh... yeah. Yeah. I, I had him on recently and I and honestly I, I hadn't been thinking a whole lot about it but then we started talking about Harold I'm like and then I'm thinking to myself why in the world are you not in the Hall of Fame one of the most <laughs> you know yeah. you know I, I, mean, mean, good grief. I mean one He's of the most been around su- since uh,
1: the early 60s as a player and then uh, you know he started broadcasting when uh, geez, it was in the early 70s right with Boston and uh, yeah. uh and then coming to the Sox and then going to the Yankees and then uh Back to the Sox, so uh, you know, and he's worked with some great people too. You know, Don Drysdale, and uh, you know when he first came to uh, Chicago, which was great. Those that was some kind of team. That was my first year with the uh, with the Sox in '82, and him and Big D were just fantastic.
0: I mean, overall contribution to the game, player, broadcaster, general manager, whatever you want. To, I mean, he's he's done it all, and unique. Uh, you, you know, there, there's there's only one of him. There's just like there's only one of Harry Care. Exactly. Car- you, you know. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. There's only one uh, Howard Cosell. Only one Jack Buck. You right. You know. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah. There is that unique quality, and uh, that makes him stand out uh, among the you know the regular guys. You know the the guys that just uh, you know do the games and. You know, you could lop them all into, uh, uh, you know, a big pot. But Hawk is very, very distinct. Right. And very knowledgeable in all his Hawkism. <laughs>
0: Hawk's got to be in the Hall of Fame Wimperoo. He's just got to be in there. We're gonna, I'm going to start a movement. We're starting a movement. I don't know exactly where it's going to go, but we're going to do something. I, I would love to, in all seriousness, I'd love to see uh, Hawk be honored for everything he's done for baseball uh, and get to himself to Cooperstown as well. We'll continue with the Wimperoo. A little bit more on, on Hawk and then a, l- a lot more on, on the team as well. Uh, that is coming up after a quick timeout. It is White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. <laughs> Socks Weekly. 720 WGN. Now let's continue with the Wimperoo. And I, I, Tom Pachork, I, I can remember just like doing my own version of, of the Hawk Walk. I, I used to love watching him. He'd be on the golf course and he'd be doing that Hawk Walk and he completely ridiculous after he would hit a putt or something and you'd see it on TV. So I have my own little, little version of that. I love the Hawk Walk. That's great.
1: It was great, yeah. and uh, uh, you know, just so so much fun things. You know, all all of this isms. You it, know, you can put it on the board, grab some bench. He gone, and uh, or uh, pure he gone, but he'll never be forgotten. I will guarantee you that. will oh, never be forgotten.
0: Or pure silence. So, I, 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 you know, like a White Sox Cubs game. Cubs get a big home run. Nothing. I mean, like, yes. <laughs> like that. That to me is Hall of Fame worthy. Well, oh, you got that right. She's not
1: real fond of the Cubs, that's for sure. I mean, uh, I, or Wrigley Field.
0: Oh, right, and he owned it. It was beautiful. I, I remember just one yeah. Grand Slam. He did He said literally nothing, and then just eventually, four nothing Cubs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I and mean, he you know he wore it on his sleeve, didn't he? Yeah, and that's and, you know, where his loyalty was and you know.
0: Yep, yeah, and,
1: and I, I at the heck, he's getting a paycheck from the White Sox. I mean his loyalty was uh was great.
0: Yeah, and it and yeah. it and it, and it, and it Probably didn't wasn't anything about who was going into his wallet too. It was also you know big time in his heart. But uh, uh, absolutely, yeah. Hey, uh, c- just a couple more here. Wimper. I know I'm keeping you a bunch here, but it's just so it's always enjoyable to talk to you. Do you like what's going on as far as the shifting in, in baseball? Would you if you were, if they made you commissioner? Would you uh, put something in? Hey, you cannot cross over second base if you're on you know whatever if you're on the left side or the right side.
1: Well, you know, I don't mind so much the shifting, but I don't want know why these guys just don't hit it where where nobody's standing. I mean, it doesn't look it doesn't appear to be that hard, you know. To if everybody's playing on the right side of the infield, all you got to do well, Matt Joyce did it last night yep. for the Braves. And it was an easy base you know, hit. Himself at. an easily bunt hit, and you know, I've seen guys do it, but not enough. So if if you want to keep hitting it for that shift, I mean, that's pretty stupid. (laughs) And, you know, it's costing guys tens and tens of uh, points on their averages. You know, uh, it would be interesting to see if they put a shift on, say, like a, a Tony Gwynn or a Rod Carew. I mean, they would just look out on the field and say, oh, there's nobody standing there. Boop, there's another hit. They'd probably hit 400.
0: You're actually t- you know, your, your team up an interesting part of it because, you know, the baseball, it's all about the math right now. It's it's hard to string three singles together, so we'll give you that base hit because it's better than you trying to take it out of the ballpark. But for a player, you're raising all your stats, which means you're getting more money in your wallet, you know, which uh, at the end of the day you're there for the team, but you're also there for yourself as well. So that's it's got to yeah. be, you know, I mean – you got to you got to take you got to put the oxygen mask on first at some point here.
1: Yeah, man. you know more games are won by clutch singles than they are clutch home runs. You know they just show the walk off home runs and you know say hey how cool is that and, you know launch angle and all this other stuff. But uh, the strikeouts to me is what's disturbing. Yeah, and uh, you know I and the way the ball's flying this year, uh, it, to me it's crazy that you you know if you make contact hit a hard ground ball. Especially if it's going faster than it used to or farther than it used to, wouldn't there be a premium on just making contact? Maybe choking up a little bit on the bat, get and make it a little bit simpler. That's what—that's my big uh, uh, peeve about about baseball today. The all-time strikeout record is going to—it's just going to be slaughtered.
0: What, what's impressed you most about this particular season? A Giolito, a, a Mancada. Eloy, a lot of candidates here. Who would you go with? Well,
1: Giolito, uh, Luke, uh, uh, he has, has really been great. I'll tell you what, you know, and I saw him pitch that one afternoon game in Minnesota where he punched out 12, gave up three hits, and just had a very good offensive team looking very, very weak. And it was because of his stuff. And it was great. You know, he's got 14 wins on the season, and uh, – uh, I think bigger and better things, as long as he stays healthy. I think he's made, a, I talked to Stoney a lot about him and he's made some major adjustments in his delivery. And I, I think he's a lot more deceptive. He's using more of a short arm delivery, which is hiding the ball better. And when you're about six foot seven, which is, which he is, uh, that lends to, uh, some pretty good stuff. And he's, you know, he's got a great fastball, throw it in 95, 96, but also a tremendous change up. That uh, that he just used basically those two pitches with an occasional breaking ball against Minnesota, one of the dynamic offensive teams in baseball, and I'm looking forward to watching him pitch tomorrow against the Braves.
0: Yeah, no doubt it's been a it's been a hell of a year. What are what are your thoughts on Eloy? You know, Eloy's got a chance to be really good. Uh, I think he's a big kid. You know,
1: bigger guys are going to have a little bit tougher time because they're going to have a little bit longer swing to start with. Once he makes the necessary adjustments and gets real comfortable with Major League Baseball, I think he's going to be tremendous. Because right, right now, yesterday, he did a great job of getting on top of a real good high fastball from Max Freed and lined it to right field for a hit. And I think that was the pitch that was giving him trouble, that high fastball. Of course, it's giving a lot of guys trouble. But uh, uh, I think you hang a breaking ball to him, and he's going to hit it a long way too. He's got tremendous power, and I think he's going to hit a lot higher. I think he's going to hit that three hundred range once he's getting ready to go.
0: Yeah, that ball was shot to right field uh, with authority. Oh yeah. Are, are you? Yeah. Are, should White Sox fans be a little worried about Dylan Cease?
1: Well, you know, that's I haven't seen enough of Dylan to uh, to really make an accurate uh, you know assessment. I know he's got great talent. But, um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, take a page from Giolito and uh, do whatever do – whatever I that's what I would do. I'd follow Giolito around and find out, do whatever he does <laughs> because he had a bad year last year himself. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was, a, you know, just like hitting, if you make the, the – uh, minor adjustments that is necessary, I think Dylan's going to be a real good pitcher.
0: Well, and there's something to be said for that, right? Having a bunch of young guys all around pushing each other. and I mean, that's what the White Sox are going to have here with Cease and Giolito and Kopech coming. Yeah. Uh, and who knows? You're going to have, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not saying they're going to recreate the 90s Braves here, but there's, there is a potential where you can have one guy trying to top another.
1: Yeah, that's very true. And they're going to have a bunch of power arms, too. You know, which, uh, uh, you know, you can't really say the Braves, you know, had when, you know, with Maddox and Clavin and uh, Smoltz had a power arm, but they're more finesse guys. But I think if you could combine the two so you don't have to overwork and just bust it on every single pitch, these guys will be better pitchers, too. And I think that's what Giolito is doing right now. He's not throwing 95, 96 every pitch, but when he needs to get it, Later in the ball game, he's got it. That's a, you know, kind of like Burlander has made it uh, possible for his greatness to be like that. And I think Scherzer is adapting that principle too. So those are the guys that I would watch closely and see how they do it. So, you know, you can, you don't have to, you don't uh, max out and you're done in five innings.
0: Tom Pachoric, great to talk to you. Great to hear you this weekend. Uh, White Sox fans always love it when you're on the broadcast. So, uh, you know, here, cheers to uh, more fill-ins coming up down the line or, or, or whatever it is yeah. you want. And uh, and thanks so much for, for coming on White Sox Weekly. I love the conversation.
1: Oh, thanks, Mark. I really enjoyed it. And good luck to everybody there. The, my best to everybody in the great city of Chicago.
0: Everybody appreciates that. The great wimperoo. Uh, always good to hear Tom Pichork, So I hope you enjoyed the conversation there. Coming up after 2 o'clock, we will be bringing on Michael Huff director of youth baseball and fast pitch for your chicago white Sox help you out uh with what's coming up in the winter time some opportunities for the youth of america youth of chicago youth of the state trying to uh, move themselves forward uh in the off season if you will which doesn't necessarily exist as much as it did back in the day guys are and girls playing year round to uh Stay as po- on the path as much as, as possible. So Michael Huff's coming up. Scott Merkin as well in the 2 o'clock hour. And a reminder, Family Sundays feature tickets as low as $5 in the upper level, $15 in the lower level. Parking is only $10. Plus, you get special family-focused activities located throughout the ballpark, including run the bases after the game. Family Sundays, proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola and enjoy the game. Visit com slash Sundays. To purchase your tickets today. Check news coming up right in, in about three minutes, and then we'll have Michael Huff on board, 720 WGN. Wow, what a play! 720
1: WGN, the team's flagship radio station.
0: You're listening to White Sox Weekly on the home of the Sox, 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly, indeed, 206 on a beautiful Sunday. Hope you're having a great Labor Day weekend. Mark Carvin with you. With you till 3.35, actually that's not true, I'll be with you through White Sox pregame, so right around 4 o'clock, taking up to White Sox baseball today. White Sox weekly continuing until 3 o'clock today. Let's bring in the director of youth baseball and fast pitch for your Chicago White Sox, Michael Huff, joining us now on 720 WGN. Good afternoon, Mr. Huff. Hang on a second there, don't respond to that. now. Let's do that again. Good afternoon, Mr. Huff.
3: Good afternoon, Mr. Carmen. How are you today?
0: I, I am excellent. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, sir. I, we're wrapping up the season here, Michael Huff, for for you guys with these summer camps, but the season never ends. Is that not correct?
3: Oh, my gosh. Uh, and, and as we've talked about in the past, not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, baseball these days in Chicago is definitely a 12 month a year job. Uh, you were right. The summer ended up uh, last week, and, and what a great year for us over 2100 kids came through the camps and we were able to bring them to the ballparks on a friday or saturday night to get to have QA with the current player uh stay to watch batting practice got to see a lot of these kids and parents a lot of early hitting which was very fun for us but kids had a chance to meet folks like jim mccann uh james mccann like lucas diolito Tim Anderson, Yolmer Sanchez, so just this summer I don't think it could have gone any better for the kids that were in our camps and those that were able to come to a ball game this summer.
0: Yeah, just to paint a picture for that because I would be in the dugout before the game when you guys would be having these talks with the kids and Jason Benetti would MC it, you would, you would be around, and uh, either Lucas or Tim or whoever would sit down uh, what, what was what were the, some of the conversations, like some of the topics that were hidden in, in those moments where it's probably not that easy to keep a kid's attention, even though there's a Major League Baseball right, player right in front of them?
3: Well, we had the kids write questions down and gave them, like you said, Jason did a great job of emceeing. We always had either Joe McEwing, the bench coach, or Nick Capra, third base coach, on the dugout as well, but... Almost everyone talked about favorite player growing up, favorite stadium to play in. Why do you have the number you have? But what was interesting is that a lot of the kids asked, you know, what was the favorite sports growing up? Were they multi-sport athletes? Did they play baseball year-round? Were they travel players? None of the guys that were out there. And, again, we have two all-stars and and potentially a a silver slugger and Tim Anderson that – only played baseball growing up, Um, talked about the importance of teamwork, talked about the importance of multi-sports, talked about the importance of family and friends. So um, besides some very insightful questions from some of these kids, and I'm sure mom and dad probably snuck in a question or two, we did have the off, you know, how far can you throw a microwave or, you know, (laughs) what does it feel like when a, 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 you know, watermelon, you know, drops from, 20 feet in the air? Have you ever dropped a watermelon off a building? So there were some fun questions, but there was also a lot of very thoughtful and insightful questions from the kids.
0: I actually like that watermelon question. Had anybody done it?
3: (laughs) No. uh, Everyone kind of laughed and giggled. Uh, Everyone, uh, with the exception of Yolmer, talked about in growing up in school, science projects of learning about you know, a, a feather versus a ping-pong ball, you know, gravity. So all these guys were able to talk about the importance of going to school, something that we obviously at the academy put a very high value on. But it, it was a lot of fun this summer, and like you said, it, it was a neat experience for these kids to sit around the home dugout to, to ask these questions of these players and coaches and uh, just to see that the attention, like you said, for, for some seven, six, eight year old kids probably don't have the greatest attention spans when they're in class or, or with the family at dinner but every one of these kids was on the edge of their seats for the 20 30 minutes that we had this Q and A.
0: yeah and some of us 45 46 year olds don't have a great attention span either it's not easy paying attention that long michael hoff
3: <laughs> no very true very true though when those guys are talking uh as you saw it, it's pretty fun and and uh, the parents, I think, get as much out of it as the kids do. Well,
0: what questions, or what questions specifically, do you get most from parents? Is that, Does anything stand out?
3: Yeah, I, I would say the biggest question I get is that single-sport, multi-sport. Uh, uh, and you and I, growing up here on the north side of Chicago, uh, I played sports all the way through high school, and almost every one of these guys that's in the major leagues, played multiple sports. Um, at the academy, um, currently the White Sox use baseball and fast fish, but the former Bull Sox Academy, we would say to the kids, look, we actually have two logos on our jerseys, you know, Let's besides just swinging a bat. And I would say the biggest question I get from parents is how much downtime? Uh, is it okay to play multi-sports? What do we do when the coach that puts pressure on us to only play one sport year round, you know, what's the right thing to do?
0: And we're, we're
3: – For me, it, it, it's a simple answer of saying if you got any youth coach that's putting that type of pressure on you, you need to leave that organization. There are so many organizations out there and a handful that do it right. I know we do. We're very proud of the kids that we teach both with our travel teams as well as the outside travel teams. But if you get that pressure as a parent – That if your kid is going to go away on a family vacation over the summer and the coach isn't going to play you, then if not, you, your wife needs to look at that and say, this guy has the wrong set of values right now for our 10-year-old kid to try to teach him how to play this game the right way.
0: That's a tough one, though, because this 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 is the <laughs> yep. number one team, and this is uh, where the best players are. and my daughter or my son really wants to be on this team. and even if it seems ridiculous that I can't or the family can't go on vacation on a normal family vacation, uh, you know, maybe this is maybe we should just prioritize the kid there, but you're you're saying the opposite. like look, there's a, don't be in scarcity about this. There's other options, and just go out and explore them if you think it's – if the coach or the organization, whatever, is being ridiculous.
3: Exactly. And here's, here's the thing is that a lot of these organizations claim they are tied into the local high school coach. If you are a parent and that is happening to you, go to that high school coach and say, if my son or daughter plays for this organization rather than this organization because – this is the type of thing that's happening right now. Our daughter loves softball. Our son loves baseball. But we do, at the age of 10, want to be able to go on a family trip to see his grandmother in Florida. That high school coach, 99% of them, I know because we work with the high school coaches at Illinois all the time, will say, yes, if they're playing in any of these three organizations, if they love the sport, take some time off, they're going to make the high school team if they have any type of skill set.
0: What do you tell a parent for a kid who's like, "Look, we have there, we have a family obligation here," we, uh, but I, and I know that you really, really, really want to play, and then the kid's like super upset because they have to miss a game because you know something that the family's got going on. There's there's a lot there's a lot we, of dynamics yeah,
3: there, right? A, and again, it, it's neat that if the kid puts the pressure on the parents to say, "I love this sport, and I want to keep doing it." I think as the parent. That's where you need to be the parent and say, you know what, son? This summer we're playing in seven tournaments. If we only play in six this summer because we're going to your aunt's wedding, it's going to be okay. I've talked to some major league players that really can't remember the score of the games in the minor leagues, let alone major leagues, let alone in college, let alone in high school, let alone in pony, let alone in little league. So if you're worried about missing one tournament this year and the team might not win because you're not there, that's wonderful you care about your teammates. But there are so many things that are more important than life, your family being one of them, if not the most important. And being able to put it in a perspective that a 12-year-old, 10-year-old can understand, again, go back to the old axiom that even the greatest Hall of Famers play baseball into their 30s. My guess is you're going to live beyond 35. So from, call it 35 to 85, you're probably going to want to be doing other things. And guess who's always going to be there? It's going to be your family and your friends. So make sure that those folks come first.
0: White Sox Director of Youth Baseball and Fast Pitch Michael Huff with us here on 720 WGN. I I, I love what you're teeing up here. It's 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 all important stuff here. Uh, but for those, Larry, let's move it forward here. For those who are going to continue and want to at least uh, be a part of baseball and/or softball in the off season. I know you guys have opportunities available, and which could be balanced, by the way, with playing basketball or anything else. But so, what do you got? What do you guys got going on, Michael?
3: Um, we do some fall programming, some hitting, pitching clubs, both for the boys and girls. But really, what we're focused on right now is helping those teams and organizations with their training, off season training. Call it December through april um we last year even though we have six seven boys and girls travel teams out of the white Sox elite out in the suburbs we trained over a hundred outside boys and girl travel teams and so right now my hope is any parent out there who is looking to price out looking to maybe change up some things, whether it's an 8-year-old or a 14-year-old travel team, gives us a call because we love to bring people to our facility in Lyle, but our coaches also go out and train outside travel teams if they have a facility, i.e. the Park Ridge Warriors have a nice little space in Franklin Park, and we send our coaches out there and work with each team a couple times a month. And it's not just working with the kids that work excited about when we go out there it's that we have their coaches doing the drills with us so we're explaining to their coaches here's the drills that we're doing right now these are the drills that we want you to work on the next two or three weeks when you're in your facility so that when we come back we can do the next step in terms of a progression on hitting or pitching or fielding so whether it's inside our facilities or outside into one of your facilities if you're a travel parent, boys or girls, uh, please give us a call because that's kind of what we're on the phone doing right now.
0: Is there a formula for how much is too much in that scenario? Like, you know, hey, we're learning this and I'm, we're going to stay out here for three hours because you've got, you know, great energy and you're enjoying it. Or, is it, you know, there's there's the other theory, like, just be out there as long as you are, like, really just dialed in. And, and it can be 45 minutes, and that's enough. <laughs> you know, kids start to yeah. wander. But like but the, the rare kid might just be that ready to go for a longer period of time, and maybe that's not a bad thing.
3: No, uh, again, ideally, you're going to work out. Uh, if you're not playing basketball, if you're not playing hockey, if you're not wrestling, ideally, it's a couple times a week, two or three times where... One could be very structured and two or three are where we're hoping the kids and the parent coaches can take what we've given them and start to reinforce it. Because as you know, Mark, this game is all about repetition. Um, If you can't step into a hitting position, if you can't stride the right way, if you don't have your hands out and you're moving forward when you're fielding, eventually that's going to come up and, and haunt you and sort of bite you in the keister. So, how do we get that repetition it's coming two or three times a week it's doing it in your basement or your garage it's doing it at school middle school or high school uh, away from the coaches and it's it's 15 20 30 minutes sometimes an hour that's all you really need um to get it done and if you can do that and it's two or three times a week you're going to be so far ahead of the curve with everybody else when the season comes around in april it's You'll be light years ahead of the other organizations and teams that you play.
0: I love it. Master those fundamentals. I got one more for you. I love this conversation, Michael. If you know I do. We have it. Up. I
3: do. I love it with you.
0: So I'll talk to parents who will be like there. There will be. There's two sides, right? It's the parent that like thinks their kid is absolutely, positively amazing, and in reality, they'll be lucky to play in high school. And then there's the yes. other parent who wants to downplay their kid. And it almost feels like they're taking chips off the table. Well, you know, he's – or she is – she's good, but she's not going to be, like, going to play in college or she's certainly not going to be, you know, play for the Olympic team. And so, like, there's a balance in, like, where you – some parents, I feel like, are taking chips off the table, or some are putting too much on. I know you, you know, I know you know where I'm going with this, but it's like, how, how do you, yeah. when you're, how, how do you how how do you find that balance? Because I, you know, I, will hear a parent talk about that. It's like, wait a second, don't, don't, don't downplay your kid. You don't know what your kid's capable of, and then the other side, it's like, don't put
3: too, too don't put too much pressure on him either. It's not easy. No, 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 and it, that's uh, again where my hope is. More people give us a call, drop us an email. Than, than less because you will be talking to people that have played in the major leagues like myself or Dan Pasqua, Jim Medusi, folks that have reached the highest level in the fast-pitch world. Um, and, and hopefully we can work with those parents or those teams for the balance. I, it is such a fine line, and every kid is totally different. If they're enjoying it and having fun, I think that's the biggest thing that we try to impact the kids with and the the parents making sure that's happening and if it is you let them keep going and when the parent says i'm not really sure you know my kid's a little small i'm not sure how much he or she likes it and you and i can see this incredible athleticism that's where the mike huff stories come out of saying you know what i was just like your kid smallest one growing up never played travel never played all stars and guess what It took me until my junior year in high school to finally start to grow. It took me four years of college to really learn how to play one sport, and I got to play seven years in the major league. So, yeah, you're right. He's probably or she's probably not going to play in the major league, but you know what? Pretty athletic right now. Let's have him or her play in a couple different sports. Let's make sure it's still fun for her. And you know what? Just playing a couple tournaments right now would be a good thing. And for those that are the opposite, saying, well, I'm going to play in – 16 tournaments this summer, it's like, eh, you know what? might be really nice to cut that in half and just have some fun with the family, maybe have some inner squads, maybe do something where the kids are, are relaxing and enjoying because you and I know that's the kid that could be really good in eighth grade but is so burnt out, just can't do it anymore or, to your point, has maxed out when he or she is 11. And now, because they had some success playing in certain tournaments, maybe where they weren't really pushed, now the parent is just setting them up for disappointment and not letting them do a couple other sports, not letting them have some fun with their friends, and maybe not exploring and saying, you know what, it might not be baseball or softball is my sport, it might be this is what I'm really good at.
0: Yeah. Great stuff, Michael Huff, Director of Youth Baseball and Fast Pitch for your Chicago White Sox. How do people contact you?
3: It's simple. M Huff at Shysocks dot com, or it's just six three zero Play Ball, and and leave anyone out in uh, the West Ribbon Sports Complex the uh, voice message email. Whether it's Kathy Young, the the Hall of Fame softball coach who oversees our fast pitch, Jim Medusi, Dan Pasquale on the elite side, Jerry Novak on the youth side. Um, some of us will get right back to you and hopefully be able to answer your questions and help set you up for the, the preseason and off season training.
0: And the website for people who just want to check it out online?
3: It's just WhiteSox.com slash play.
0: WhiteSox.com slash play. Emhoff at shysocks.com if you want to send Mike an email. Michael Huff, thank you, my friend. Always good to talk to you, and uh, looking forward to the month of September here. We will, uh, we'll catch up uh, during the offseason, all right?
3: Definitely. Thank you, sir.
0: Our, my pleasure. Michael Huff, director, again, of Youth Baseball and fast, which I think it's an important conversation. Everybody wants their kid to get the scholarship, and the White Sox are out here trying to help, so get involved if you'd like on that level, and they'll do their best to help your child along. Quick timeout, 720 WGN. Get can head to the park for Dollar Hot Dogs every Wednesday. Home game this season. Take advantage of this unbeatable deal on Wednesday, September the 11th. As the Sox take on the Royals at 710 PM, brought to you by Securian Financial. Can help you make every moment count. Find out more at Securian.com. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash Dollar Dogs Today. Uh, just a shout out to John Jay, who I'm assuming probably will not be back with the club next year, although you never know. Uh, he was placed on the injured list with the strained right hip, which Limit him at the start of the season. He didn't make his debut until June the 24th and uh, got a little under 200 at-bats on the season at 267 uh, with an on-base percentage of 311, slugging 315, eight doubles. Uh, But John has just been a professional around baseball. He's played now for six teams and had an impact on the White Sox as far as just doing things the right way. And uh, I would assume his... his, uh, career will continue, although you never know. I mean, getting into the mid-30s there with a pretty significant injury that limited his season, uh, he'll probably have to go on a minor league deal next year if he wants to keep on playing and see if he can make a club in spring training. Who knows? Maybe he'll be with the White Sox. Um, White Sox are going to try to be a playoff team next year. That's a veteran that can help you off the bench, left-handed bat, play some outfield. You never know uh, what the future is for John Jane. Of course, he came here because he was part of the courtship, seemingly, for Manny Machado, who... Ended up in San Diego, which I think will benefit the White Sox long term. Just my opinion. I think they'll be fine. Money available for other things like pitching. Let's do a quick timeout. Scott Merkin's coming up after the two thirty news. Seven twenty WGN. It's great to be back with WGN. It's White Sox Weekly on the official radio station of the Chicago White Sox. Seven twenty WGN. Happy Labor Day weekend to you, Jerry Reinsdorf. Happy to have you, the chairman. 720 WGN. It is White Sox Weekly. Scott Merkin, one of my favorites, MLB.com. It's covered the White Sox since the White Sox have been in existence. Well, joins us now on his Labor Day weekend. Merk, good to be with you
2: as always. Thanks for taking time. I get to go up against uh, Justin Verlander's final out of his no hitter here, huh? Uh, that's
0: I, that's interesting. I wasn't tracking that. Verlander's about to have a no hitter. That's terrible on my part, I suppose. Uh, he's uh, he's one strike away, as a matter of fact. <laughs> no hitters are just so like t- I don't know. They're they, they're they used to be exciting but Now it's like you know ten a season. That's not really accurate at all, but well, I, it, they do happen more frequently.
2: <laughs> I think I think they're still exciting because I think the thing that's changed is pitchers don't go as deep in the game, right, with uh, the proliferation of bullpen usage. And I'm not talking about the Sox struggles recently starting-wise, but, you know, even good starters usually go out after six or seven so you can get the setup guy in and the closer in, right? So, I mean, it's it's pretty interesting. He's at According to the bar, he's at 119 pitches right now. You don't, you don't see that
0: all the time. You, you don't. And, you know, Ronaldo Lopez had one working a couple of starts ago. They're like, well, if he, if he, right. will, will they continue to let him go out there? Uh, and he gave up a hit, but it, uh, you know it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't really. It didn't even seem like the White Sox would consider doing something like that. I, first off, uh, as far as Lopez concerned, are you uh, his last three or five of four have not been great? You concerned about Ronaldo Lopez? You think this White Sox are Scott Markin?
2: Yeah, you know it was interesting that game that he. I think it was last Sunday, right? That he. Uh, he yeah, I think I think I believe it was Sunday that he uh, threw that game where he had five no hit innings, and then he. Um, Get sick, and then oh, Bummer then we, came in, and the and 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 the, and the first thing that Bummer did was a you know, hit, and Bummer's been great this year, obviously. But and Verlander just finished off his no hitter, by the way. I think it was, is that his third career no hitter. He's he's pretty amazing, isn't he? Good he, lord, he, he,
0: it, um, I, I, Everyone thought he was done with Detroit, and like the, the the Astros were maybe making a bad bet on him, and then it turned out to be like the greatest bet ever. So I, I think it goes to
2: show, you know, these guys. Well, not that we needed this to be reminded, but these guys are human. And I think you can look across town at Nick Castellanos. And, I mean, he was okay for Detroit. He killed the White Sox. Obviously, White Sox fans know that. But, I mean, just the production. I think he's had as many home runs in 116 at-bats or something like that with the Cubs as he did with 450 for the Tigers. And, hey, Tigers are in the early stage of the rebuild. This was expected. I'm not sure if it was, you know, 53 games under 500 expected. But, you know, it it means something to go to a situation where you're winning again, right? And I'm sure that revitalized Verlander and – you know, he won a World Series, and they've been great since. And I'm sure, you know, it, it, any player that does that, that gets in that situation to kind of revitalize them a little bit. And maybe you get a – I'm not saying you aren't going hard before that, but you get an extra step up there. Yeah. But back to what you're saying with Lopez, yeah, I mean, Lopez, the consistency has just been the issue all year. And I'm not so sure it's, you know, someone's mechanics or, you know, stuff is just, you know, focus. I mean, it, it really is hard to figure because, you know, he was unbelievable his last seven stars last year. I've, I've quoted this stat almost as much as I've quoted – how many games the White Sox were in how many days the White Sox were in first place in two thousand twelve. And, you know, he had a 1.38 ERA, his last seven starts last year. I don't care if he was going against Houston all seven starts or against, you know, the last place teams in all seven starts. One three eight is is pretty good at the major league level. That's that's not a that's not a, a luck situation. So the stuff is there, but you know, here's the thing with with the rebuild is you're giving these guys a chance. You know, Lopez is going to make thirty starts. Lucas Giolito made over thirty starts last year and what was a, a really bad year for him. But these guys are also going to show where they fit too, right? So Lopez is getting the opportunity to start, but there's nothing locked in. He has not been, you know, guaranteed a starting spot in 2020 or 2021, probably 2020, but 2021 when this team's got a better chance, you know, probably moving into that prime contention window. So you got to take advantage of the opportunity too and look at, you know, what Lucas G. Leader did. He refocused and not refocused, but he said to himself, this is not who I am. I'm better than this and did all he could to fix that in the offseason, and my goodness, he's been tremendous this year. You know, he's been one of the, he, he's gone from the leader in earned runs allowed and American League walks to, you know, probably one of the five guys being considered for AL Cy Young this year, so kudos to him, and Lopez has got to make that same adjustment. I get that he got some bad breaks last night, that, you know, there's a pass ball against Castillo, There, Tyler Flowers' routine grounder hit the base, and that, You know, led to more trouble. But, you know, you also have six hits in two thirds of an inning. So there's a little culpability on both sides. Well, it's interesting
0: when you think about the starters and what the White Sox are going to do in the offseason as far as going into free agency and maybe targeting a guy like Garrett Cole is going to be targeted by, I don't know, two thirds of baseball. And also perhaps spending some money on. Extending some of their own players, and I'm, you know, right. w- would they consider extending any of their young pitchers? Is, is Lucas Giolito a candidate for that after the year he had? I would, I would assume not, but 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 maybe. What, 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 what do you think, Mark?
2: Well, I wrote about this earlier in the year that you know they tried with Dylan C in spring training, and that didn't really you know materialize into anything. So I think anything is open. Of course, it's got to be you know equal on both sides. Both both the p- the player and the team have got to want that extension. You know, some guys would prefer to bet on themselves and keep going through, you know, arbitration eventually and then get to free agency and take a chance. Some guys, I know, you know, Chris Sale, man, we asked him every year, at least I did, every offseason a new $200 million contract came along and he had that great team-friendly deal and he was arguably, you know, one of the top, I guess, you know, probably with Kershaw and Verlander, the top three shirts are in there. Let's say the top in the team picture for best starters in baseball. And he never complained. You know, he said, I knew what I was signing. People let me know what was going on. That's the deal I took. That's the deal I wanted. I'm perfectly happy with it. So you have to have both sides, you know, the Sox offering a fear deal, which as an example they did with Jimenez and the side wants that, which Jimenez did. So, you know, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. And, and you know, you mentioned Garrett Cole, and I, I know he's kind of the hot button guy, uh, Anthony Rendon with the, the Nationals, another guy who's going to be a free agent. And obviously they're going to be myriad teams. Look at these guys, but, I don't think you need, and I don't want to demean anyone in the picture. I hope I explain this. But I don't think you need to get that number one guy in each category to have a successful offseason. Look at what the Minnesota Twins have done. You know, I mean, they've got really good veteran players who were accomplished and still doing great, but probably weren't the number one guy in free agency at their at their specific position. But these guys have won before, and these guys have helped the younger players, and they've produced. Marwin Gonzalez, Nelson Cruz, Chris Krohn. You know, just a great job by the twins in the offseason to put themselves, you know, almost certainly in the postseason in two thousand nineteen.
0: Milwaukee did the same thing last year. Nobody for whatever reason wanted to pay big for Lorenzo Kane. He was huge for right. them. Uh you know, and then they they and then they made an unbelievable deal betting on a guy like Christian Yelich, gave up a lot to get him, but he reached heights that he had never reached in Miami before. I mean that's that's the type of move. Where a GM really, really shows that he's ahead of the curve, and I'm sure Rick Hahn's going to try to do something along those lines. We'll, well, I don't know if they'd be willing to give up young talent, and they're not quite there yet. But that th- that level of trade is coming. If it's not this offseason, it, it's it's certainly coming in the next two. You would think where some of the young talent might go elsewhere for a, a proven guy who's hopefully young and and is cost controlled and makes a ton of sense for the White Sox. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it, Mark?
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, the Sox probably, I, well, I know, you know, they looked a little bit at Yowitz themselves, but they were, you know, in the middle of the, not, they're still in the rebuild, but in the nascency of the, the rebuild there. And yeah, I, I think, you know, the rebuild is great because you're building depth. You're not just building talent at the front with Tim Anderson and Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez and Michael Kopeck and Lucas Gelito, but you're building depth too. You're going to have guys who can come in behind them. Whatever their numbers are at the minor leagues, you have some talent who can come in there. Or as Kenny Williams talked about in the past and is, you know, Many farm directors and draft directors have talked about. Nick Hostetler talked about Doug Lama before him. These guys are to either help the team, you know, by calling them up and fitting them in position or help the team by moving them for someone who can help the team. So, you know, I I think it's going to be real interesting to see. But, you know, at some point, and and Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are well aware of this, you got to go off the cover of Baseball America and from the number one or two or three spot in MLB pipeline and win, right? I mean, that's the ultimate goal. I mean, you know, I was debating this with someone the other day who, who was a very knowledgeable sports person, too, and, you know, would you rather have one year of a winner and then maybe, like, three or four or five down years or, like, five or six competitive years with no titles? And I think you take the title every time, right? I mean, the, ultimately, the goal is to win the World Series. And the Sox are aware of this, and the, Rick has talked about this ad nauseum, that when the time is right, they're going to make the move to finish it, and I think it's, you know, getting within a year If not sooner, you never know with how divisions break up. You know Who knew Minnesota was going to be dominant this year going into the year? Who knew Cleveland back in May? I know I was probably a little harsh on them, but even being harsh on them, who knew they would be 20 games over this late in the season? So you you never know year to year. But I, I think the Sox are ready, and they know when they have to make the move and know who they have to go after.
0: Let's rewind back a little bit here, just current state. And do you think the White Sox are concerned with Dylan Cease right now? I mean, it's 10 games in. It'd be ridiculous to not think that he's going to have his ups and downs, and there's been more downs, you know, at the start of his career, but that's nothing new for a young pitcher. But then, uh, you know, he is getting hit harder than some thought that he would. What, what, where do you think they're at with Dylan?
2: I think they're fine with Dylan. I think, you know, there, it, it's a work in progress for a young guy who's got a ton of talent. I mean, Dylan Cease gave up, what, eight runs and, and 10 hits in just over two innings against Minnesota, which is not. A rarity against that lineup, but he also had a hundred miles an hour on his fastball and yep. had 10 swinging strikes. So, I mean, the stuff is there. There's absolutely stuff there. And really, yeah, I mean, you want him to have a good year. You want him to have a good finish in September. And I, I assume he's pitching out through September here. They've done a great job even starting in spring training, monitor his innings, you know, so he doesn't go. So it's not a huge increase over the 124. I think he threw last year as a career high, but you know, you'd like him to finish strong just to have kind of that confidence level. But I think he's confident himself one way or the other. And I really do believe, and this may sound like a cop-up, but I really do believe his numbers are kind of meaningless this year. You know, the team is not going to the playoffs. They're not going to finish 500. So it's it's a great experience. I mean, and with that in mind, that's why I've been pushing for a while, and that's a really the socks check with me, what I think. But that Luis Robert and a guy like Nick Madrigal probably should have been up since the start of August, in my mind. This is in my mind. And let them get going let them play for two months. The only thing you really do is take them out of the, you know, the rookie of the year picture for next year and get them ready for next year. You know, look at Jimenez. Now Jimenez has been hurt by a couple injuries and uh, three injuries actually in time on the bereavement list. But he looks like he's just starting to get on a roll now, get his, you know, kind of his feel back with the time down. But, you know, he hasn't had probably the year that he thought he would because he considered himself a hitter more than a power hitter. So guys like Cease, guys like Jimenez, Giolito last year, it's all, you know, it, it you'd like it, as Rick has said this a few times, so you'd like them all to hit the ground running and do what Bo Bichette has done over in Toronto or what Tatis did with San Diego, but it doesn't always happen that way. So that's why, you know, I think if you're two years in and you're seeing a uh, six ERA and, you know, home run at every start, then you, you probably have a little pause for concern. But I think Dylan Cease is learning every start. He's learning in between every start. And he's going to be a focal point of that rotation come 2020 and beyond.
0: Interesting that you think that he's going to pitch to the end of the year. I always thought that that at some point in September they would shut him down. But it is true they've spaced it out, uh, and and he hasn't. And well, some of his outings right now, he's he's you know he, he threw two innings the other day through, you know, t- t- what was less than sixty pitches. So there's there's that part of it too. But so you think he's actually going to the end of the year? Yeah,
2: you know, I haven't asked much about that lately, but I you know I remember they worked on this so diligently. I, I, diligently, they aren't doing everything else diligently, but they, you know they mapped this out so meticulously that they didn't even start him until later into spring training. Yep. you yep. know there were a few weeks into spring training where he just was throwing sides and then was just throwing an inning or two at a time. So they've really worked this out to the fact you know I mean, you want him to have an innings bump because you want him to kind of move towards that 200 mark, which is kind of the magical mark for starters. Now again. Maybe he makes three or four good starts. They certainly have guys up now with Manny Benuelos and Santiago and Ross Detweiler and even Fulmer down Carson Fulmer down there. Maybe he makes three or four good starts, and maybe they're, you know, 12, 13 games under, and they say, okay, that's good. We're, you know, they could do that. I've seen that happen. We've seen it happen before. But, you know, the, from what I've seen so far, I think he's going to go through September.
0: Scott Merkin, MLB.com with us for a couple more seconds here on the 720 WGN. Do you think. Uh... Joan Moncada is locked into third base because you
2: know, I mean I think barring something like of Anthony, Anthony Rendon significance he is the third baseman for the for for the the long term future. I asked Ricky that the other day and Ricky looked at me like I was speaking Hebrew basically. You know I mean he he was like you know is that a trick question because I think they're they're so impressed rightfully so by what he's done this year defensively and offensively. That he's their guy there, you know. So I think, barring something, just you know, off the Richter scale, and you know, move wise, he is the third baseman going forward for the Chicago White Sox.
0: I mean, I think I'm asking the question the same reason why you're asking it. Because if Manny Machado had signed, said yes, then he would have been the second baseman, and Rendon is out there, and it's like, is he? I'm sure that there's some him playing third base that helped him offensively this year, but then there's also the part of, like, I think that guy was going to figure it out, whether he's playing second, third, or right field. Um, you know, he, there's just too much talent there that he wasn't going to hit. Uh, right, So, right. So it's just interesting that they have some flexibility there, but he's also been phenomenal.
2: Well, they do, but remember, you know, Nick Madrigal's on his way, too, at right. second base. Yep. So you're probably talking, if it, this is sure hypothetical, you know what I mean? But if you're, if that were to happen, if they were to ink Rendon, then you're probably talking an outfield move, right? I mean, assuming they don't move Madrigal and some other you know big deal. But again, this is all just completely 100% speculative. But I I, I would think grounded in reality as we sit here right now with not speculating any moves they could or couldn't make. You know, it's you know Moncada, Anderson, Madrigal, and I would be shocked if it's not Jose Abreu at first base at least for 2020 and probably 2021.
0: How many years do you think he gets?
2: Uh, I I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of unfair to speculate because I'm not, you know, I I, I would guess that I don't, first of all, I don't think, you know, he has his sights on 10 more years of baseball. This is a guy who played a long time in Cuba too, you know, so I think he's, he's got a young family. He's dedicated. He talks about them almost every interview, you know, his mom and dad and his kids and his wife and everything else. I, I would guess two years and an option would probably make sense. And I don't, I think it's, you know, as far as I can tell from what he has said, I don't think it's going to be a tough negotiation, but, you know, the Sox have to, you know, decide that that's what they want, and I would think, you know, almost certainly he's going to be back. He's he's such, number one, he's still a a very solid middle-of-the-order presence. I think, you know, bordering on, you know, elite middle-of-the-order presence in terms of driving and runs and, you know, extra base power and that kind of thing, and that's his focus more than getting on base and walks and that kind of thing, although I think his average is back up around 280 again. And, you know, he is valuable to that, that clubhouse. You know, you see him interact with Moncada and Jimenez and Robert when he gets there. So I think he's, you know, the Twins have talked about, again, I'm using them because they've played so well this year and it's such a great season, but, you know, the influence that some of these guys, these older guys who have been through World Series and playoff races like Marwin Gonzalez, like Nelson Cruz, have had on the younger guys, and you have a guy like Abreu who really wants to be there. He's really killed all his bargaining power as many times as he said that he would sign himself back if the Sox didn't sign him. So I think he's still valuable. And I think, you know, you got to work it out over time to figure out what he is worth and how many years you want to commit to him and what you feel like his, I don't want to say depreciation, but how he's going to be each year. So that that's for the Sox to figure out. But I think he's still a valuable piece of that team.
0: Scott Merkin, good to be with you as always I hope you're enjoying your Labor Day weekend I know you're not in Atlanta but you're always paying attention Merk. so there's I no... am
2: but off to off to Cleveland tomorrow to celebrate Labor Day in Cleveland for a <laughs> big four game set and uh with the, uh, with the Wahoos. I was glad, I'm glad we could share the, uh, last out of the Justin Verlander no hitter together.
0: Yeah. That's, and, uh, you were correct, by the way. It is his third no hitter. He gave up one yes. walk in his, in his outing today, 120 pitches. So that was, you were spot on for that, Merck, uh, all over there it. There you go. And I love the fact that you're, <laughs> that you're retweeting tennis videos. I was just at the U.S. Open. Huge fan of Coco. Oh, you were there.
3: That's-
2: yeah, it's it's that, that that's that's got to be a cool experience. I know uh, Billy Russo, who is the tremendous uh, interpreter for the White Sox, and w- went to it last year when it was like a hundred degrees. I can't even imagine what that was like. But that's like I, I'm not a huge tennis watcher on TV, but the U.S. Open is something I try to watch every year. That was just a, a, an amazing moment between those two. Just a. A lot of class on both sides from those young ladies.
0: No no question, Naomi Osaka and Coco Goff. I love I love that you yep. put it out there. I, okay, now I can talk tennis with Billy Russo. That was helpful, too. So There you go. All right, Mark, I'm be here. Well. I'm here to help. I appreciate it. Be well, Mark. Appreciate you. Okay, Mark. You too. Take care. Scott Merkin, MLB.com. Quick timeout, 720 WGN.